Good morning, Overlake. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here at Overlake. We are just excited to worship Jesus this morning. So would you please stand with us? Let's do this.
I just feel like this morning as we praise him and we lift his name high, that he just has a plan, something he wants to do in our lives this morning. It just feels simple and easy to come to his presence, into his presence right now. And I just feel like he's saying, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. And all we have to do is worship him, right? It's saying as our praises rise, then his glory falls, his spirit falls. So that's just so cool. So simple and beautiful. Let's lift our voices. 
Freedom is here. Cause freedom is here. Fear has to be. 
good. Hey, let's just give this moment to the Lord Jesus. We love you. And we ask that the words of that song, that, that they would be the prayer of our hearts today. That we just, we, we just ask you, we just beseech you, would you just flood the earth? Would you, would you give us the glimpse of your kingdom come down in such a manifest way, Lord Jesus? We love you and we give you all praise and all glory forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys. We've had church already. <laughs> Um, go ahead and grab a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors on the team. And I definitely want to welcome you, uh, especially if this is your first time to Overlake. In your handout, you will have noticed a connection card. And we really do ask that you fill that out today. And uh, if you have any prayer requests, write those down. And if, if God's stirring in your heart and you make a spiritual decision, note that. If this is your first time, fill out as much as you feel comfortable. And you can stop by the Connection Center on your way out after the service today, and, and it's just a way that we uh, are trying to make a bigger church feel smaller and more care-focused, and so that's how we, we try to do that. So it is wonderful to be with you. Um, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout, and, and you'll see we're going to wrap up a series today on generous living, and it's been, it's been a great journey for us. I'm so, I'm so glad that uh, we've had a, an opportunity to do this. If you've missed some of these messages, please go online and, and, and check them out because they really are sequential. Each one builds, and, and if you, you know, if, if you really put into practice what it is that God's calling us to through this invitation of generous living, it will be transformative for your life, and it's something that I, I'm on a journey as well, but I'm, I'm really trying to put into practice, and, and uh, we have for many, many years uh, been a part of this journey of generosity, so I, I just want to invite you into that as well. But you'll see today, this is going to be a, an awesome message, because we're talking about God's plan for abundance. And so the topic is this idea of the abundance and the fullness of life that Jesus is inviting us into. And, and we're going to talk about that in terms of financially, how it is that we look at organizing our financial lives so that we can live God's plan for abundance. And I do want you to know that the opposite of abundance is financial pain. And some of us are in financial pain right now, and I just, I, I recognize that. In fact, uh, filling up my car with gas this week, I was at the gas station over on Avondale, and you have to, you know, type in your zip code, and then it asks you for your social security number, and then it asks you for your annual income, and then it approves your loan, and so you can actually fill up your car with gas. Uh, in California right now, uh, it's even worse, y you know, they've got, uh, they've got some high gas prices there. And ironically, you know, financial pain has very little to do with how much money we actually have or how much money we make. It, in fact, it's all perspective. Um, there are, study after study shows that those with lower middle income, uh, class incomes, tend to statistically be more worry-free and more generous with what they do have. But those with more money tend to have more worries, and it's because what, own, what, what we own tends to own us. I want to show you a couple of quotes. These are actually quotes from miserable millionaires. The first is, the care of $200 million dollars is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it, said Vanderbilt. Some of you are like, now that's a death I'd like to try, you know. Um, Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. And Henry Ford said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. 
So it's so interesting that, that, that these, you know, accomplished millionaires, uh, they, they, there was no joy in it for them. And that's exactly what the Bible has been telling us for thousands of years. Look at this from Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. You see, it's meaningless. In other words, it's a myth that having wealth will bring us happiness. And so what I want to do as we start this morning's message is talk about some of the myths that are out there. They, they, they sound like facts, but they're really myths. And the first myth that we want to talk about is how you and I are entitled to be wealthy. That's the first myth that we have. And, and I, I think it has to do with maybe a, an American dream ethos or something like that. But, you know, when I read the Declaration of Independence, and, you know, I read it all the time, uh, uh, you know, it, it, we are entitled to life and liberty and the pursuit of stuff, right? And materialism is just a part of the fabric of this society. I was talking to a friend recently who has come through a truly painful season, multiple years of financial pain. But last year, he and his wife were finally able to get out of debt. And they were able to save, and they were able to pay cash for a family car that they needed. And, and, and they lived tight, and they lived pretty frugal, but they also lived pain-free. And so I just asked him this question. I said, well, what was one thing you and your wife needed to change? And his answer was immediate. He said, I, I needed to change my sense of entitlement. You know, my entitlement says I want it all, and I want it now. And that led us into debt and discontent, and it leads us away from the abundance that Jesus has for us. So that's a myth, that you're entitled to be wealthy. The next myth is that all the church talks about is money. It's a myth. All the church talks about is money. Maybe some of you are here, you're like, oh, you're talking about money? Great, you know, typical uh, today. Here's what you need to know. We don't talk about money all the time. In fact, I, I'm really strategic over the course of, you know, the last 15 years of ministry here at Overlake uh, that we try to talk about money once or twice a year from the pulpit. Do actual teaching around what it is that God's plan is for our finances. So, so once or twice a year, we cover this uh, in church. What's ironic about it is that God is really comfortable talking about money. It's all through the scripture. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. And the reason why Jesus is so comfortable talking about money, why, why the Bible's filled with conversations about money, is because God knows that if he doesn't have your wallet, he doesn't have your heart. And so that's why God is so comfortable talking about it, right? So here's the thing, though. We don't talk about it very much in church, but just because you might hear one message or two messages a year on it at church, do you know how many messages about money that you're hearing every day? About 3,000. You're hearing about 3,000 messages about your money every day. All kinds of people are telling you what you need to spend your money on. And how you need to care for your money. And how you need to, to, to purchase something else. And, and there's all these promises about what you should do with your money. And you're hearing about 3,000 messages a day. You might hear two a year here. But 3,000 times a day, somebody is telling you what to do with your money. And so I just want you to understand that it's a myth that, that all we talk about at church is money. The next myth is this. That you will be happier with another purchase. You'll be happier with another purchase. If I could just afford, if I could just buy, if I could just make this thing happen in my life. And it's just a lie. Jesus says this in Luke 12, 15. Be on your guard 
against all kinds of greed. So it's something that we have to guard. It's something that we have to, to be wary of. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that possessions are bad. He doesn't say possessions are evil. He just says there's no life there. You're not going to find your life in your possessions. You need to have money. It's not good or bad. It's amoral. But Jesus says watch out and be on guard against greed because there is no life in your possessions. And so the lie is that a material purchase will satisfy a spiritual need. So we rack up our purchases or greed just says we desire to rack up our purchases. And, and when we do, when we walk that pathway, we find that it is spiritually empty. The next myth is that you can do whatever you want with your money. I mean, this is a very American ethos right here. That you, that it's your money, you can do whatever you want with it. And many of you here have read the Bible cover to cover, and you have never read the phrase, you can do whatever you want. It's just not in there. I've read the Bible so many times, and I just want you to understand, at no place in the scripture does it say you can do whatever you want. What it does is it says you've got choices to make. You've got choices to make with how you live your life and how you steward your finances. And the Bible teaches us that our choices have consequences. The Bible gives us wisdom with what kinds of choices are good choices. And submission to God and God's will is characteristic of the best choice that you can make. It's the, the choice that a disciple makes and, and those who follow after Jesus make. And when you submit yourself to God, then you understand this next truth from 1 Corinthians 6, which is this, that you are not your own, you are bought with a price. So you're not your own. And that's why you can't just do whatever you want, because you were bought with a price, and followers of Jesus know just how much that was. It, was. it was Jesus leaving his father's side, and coming to earth, and living in poverty, and living righteous, and then dying a criminal's death, and a rebel's death, and a, a sinner's death in our place, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved, so that we could have a relationship of love with him that starts in this lifetime and lasts for eternity. We, we know what the price was for us, and so we recognize that, that we can't just do whatever we want, not with our lives, not with our money, but instead we come to him and say, Jesus, how, how would you want me to steward my finances? How would you want me to make choices in my life? The next myth is this. That God asked the Israelites for 10%, and now God wants it all. It's a myth. God asked, the, God asked the Israelites for 10%, but now he wants it all. There's no scripture to support this. Now, over the course of our series, we've talked about how it is all his, and it's all from him, and it will all return to him. So, so we recognize that that is true. But God doesn't want you or I or any of us to give everything away to ministry and so, so that we become in need ourselves. He does want us, however, to steward everything for his glory and for his kingdom's sake. And he knows that the pathway to abundance actually runs through generosity. But there are all kinds of scripture that talk about how it is that God intends for us to steward our finances. For example, in 1 Timothy 5.8 it says, But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So if we don't care for our own families, 
If we don't provide for them, if we don't serve them and, 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 and create a, a way in which they are given a foundation and a livelihood and a, and a life, then we're worse than unbelievers in terms of we, we're missing what it is that Jesus has in store for us to do. So, so there's all kinds of scripture like that. I, I put one more in your, in your notes from Proverbs 13.22. It says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. In other words, God provides, and one of the things that he provides is so that we would actually have stuff to pass on. That we don't leave debt behind, we don't leave despair behind, but we actually leave a legacy that there's an abundance that we are able to pass on to those who come after us. So, and Jesus, of course, is our example in terms of how we are to love outlandishly, how we're to love unconditionally, just the way he has loved us. But you'll never find in scripture where God says, give everything away, scrape together your own survival, and good luck with that. Okay? God has a much better plan for us. In fact, the plan that God has is that you and I, all of us, all of his children would actually live in abundance. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to talk about what God's plan for abundance is. Okay? So now we're, we're leaving the myth behind. Now we're going to go after what it is that God actually desires for us as we walk a road of abundance in his way. And so the first is this, that we give the first 10% to God. And the reason why I want to start here is because I just want to recognize, and you might want to write this down, that this is totally counterintuitive. This absolutely goes against the grain of abundance. Wait a sec. You're saying the pathway to abundance financially is actually to start with giving. Yes, I, I, I'm saying that that's what Jesus says. And he is totally counterintuitive. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, if you want to, you know, gain life, you give your life away. He, Jesus is the one who says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus is absolutely counterintuitive. So yeah, Jesus is the one who says, abundance, yes, and it starts with giving. And Jesus says this in Luke 6, 38, give, he says, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Amen. See, Jesus is the one who says, look, you, you want abundance. I have abundance for you, but it starts with you giving. And I just, I, I want you to understand, it's something that we have to get into. It's actually a perspective that we have to have. I, I, I've had this experience over the course of my life as a, a married man. Maybe some of you have had this experience as well. Pull into a, a drive-thru, and the person on the speaker comes and says, Hello, welcome to Wendy's. May I take your order? And I'll say something like, Sure, I'd, I'd love to have a cheeseburger and a Coke and, and please a, a large fry. And of course, the whole time I'm thinking about a French fry because they're delicious. They are truly straight from heaven to us. And so I'm excited about those fries, and then I'll turn to my spouse, and I'll say, Jody, what can I order for you? And, and she'll say, oh, I, I'm not really hungry. I, I, I don't need anything. And, and, and I, I start to panic just a little bit because I know exactly what she, she means. And, and so I'll say, sweetheart, I, I'd be happy just to order you something. If, you know, I can't get you some fries or anything. And, and, and she'll say, no, no, I'm not really that hungry. I'll just have some of yours. And at that point, I know my fries are as good as gone, right? It's just over. And, and, and there's like a panic that, that starts to rise within me. It's like, no, no, those, doesn't she understand? Mine, those, those are my fries, right? Yeah. 
It's just, and it's not the way that we need to live. But, but I want you to understand that, that if we could shift our mentality, right, to recognize that we actually, we don't actually own anything. That there, there really isn't anything that is mine. There's nothing that is mine. The, the, the idea is that, that there is this perspective shift that if we can get there, it makes giving so much easier. It makes this generosity pathway so much easier to walk. And truly it sets us free to live in the abundance that God has for us. So I want to be clear about something. Jesus says, when you give, it will be given to you. In other words, God promises a return to you. But what I want to say very, very clearly is it's, it's, it's not just a formula. It's not you give this amount, God gives this amount. What I want you to see is that Jesus is promising abundance to you. He's promising abundance. In other words, it's going to be poured out. It's going to be filling up your basket. It's going to be spilling over, right? Like that's how God wants to bless you, but it starts with you giving. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't give you a formula. So what I want to have you note is that God's return blessing in your life can come in many ways. He might protect your health. He might give you some extra income. He might bless you with joy that you would not have otherwise. He might give you a new car or he might keep your car running for an extra 100,000 miles. Right? So, so there's no like simple formulaic way for us to understand what God's blessing is. All we need to know is it starts with us giving first to him. And we talked about this more last week. We spent kind of the whole time talking about the first 10% goes to God. But I just want to, you know, sort of reiterate that the tithe, and that's the, the scripture here, a tithe of everything from the land, whether it's grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, uh, it belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. So that idea of a tithe is, is a literal term. It just means 10%. And, and which 10% is it that we want to give to God? It's the first 10, right? So that's the next Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So just circle the word first fruits. It's the first fruits that we bring him. Not the leftovers, but the first. And then again, we view all scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ at Overlake. That's how we read. That's how we interpret. That's how we apply. Everything goes through Jesus. And so in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus affirms the tithe. And that's where we are in the new covenant. Tithe, actually, it actually predates the old covenant and it continues through the new covenant. So we begin with giving. And again, it's our perspective that needs to shift because our perspective is what causes us to miss out on God's abundance. And so we shift our perspective when we give first to him. That's why we call this an act of worship. So giving is an act of worship because we are shifting our mentality around our finances by giving first to God and bringing all of our life then underneath his authority. Now I do want to say this really clearly because some of you have been tracking with us and you know that right now Overlake we are behind our budget and so we're going to have to work hard, all of us, to, to catch up in, in order to finish this year in the black. But I want you to understand that Overlake does not have a finance problem. And I say this because I, I know we are great stewards and we, we are good stewards of God's resources here as a church. We don't have a finance problem, we just have a faith problem. And the faith problem is that together we're not starting where God wants us to start. And so if we could start where God wants us to start, I promise you all the finances would be taken care of. But it's going to require all of us to walk this road. 
Okay, so it starts with the first 10%. Then the next, the second uh, part of God's plan for abundance for all of us is this. Spend less than you make. Spend less than you make. Now, listen, I know this is like super low bar. Like no, nobody needs to hear this. It's, you know, you, you, you all get it, and, I, and I'm, I'm with you in this. But here's what I want you to understand. Abundance is a mentality. So I want you to think right now, over the course of your life, when was the season when you experienced the greatest level of abundance? Now, I want you to think about that. Chances are, over the whole course of your life, it's not when you were making the most money. Chances are. Now, some of you, maybe that's the answer, but, but chances are, it was when you had the most discretionary income. It's when you had the most margin, financially. So in my life, and you might have heard me tell this story before, but I finished college and I started working at a camp over on Highway 12 behind Mount Rainier towards Yakima. It was called Gormley Meadow, and I, I worked at this camp. My mentor, Sonny Salisbury, was there, and it was, it was a great year and a half. I made $800 a month there. Now, $800 a month, but they provided everything for me. They provided the, the bunk that I slept in. They provided every meal. Uh, there's nothing to do in the mountains uh, out there. So I wasn't spending any money on, you know, entertainment or anything. So basically, I was kind of putting most of my paycheck into my bank account. And, and I just, I felt like just so wealthy. And then after a year and a half, I looked around those mountains. And I realized there were no single women in the mountains of... <laughs> Washington, and so I left. I went down to Southern California, and I started working, and, and some of you already know this, but I, the, the job that I got immediately, you know, was uh, I was a bartender. So I, I worked as a bartender in Laguna Beach, and uh, it, was, it was a sweet gig, and I had one bill to pay. I was living with my parents at the time. I had one bill. It was my student loan, and I made enough in one night working uh, at the bar to, to pay that bill, and so every other night that I worked was just discretionary income. And I just, I want to tell you, if you want a, abundance in your life, move back in with your parents and let them pay all the bills. <laughs> all right, just kidding. But I hope you understand the point. The point isn't make more money. The point is spend less than you make. And, and we can go after that in just about any season of life that we're in. We can curb our appetites in order to spend less than we make. You know, we, we never really are able to, to show Saturday Night Live videos here, but th this is a Saturday Night Live video that actually fits the sermon. So go ahead and watch this. Oh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. 
Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> So get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously, If You Don't Have the Money, Don't Buy It, along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. All right, all right. Yeah. The, the one and only Saturday Night Live video we can show. Uh, it is a mental framework, right? It's, it, it's, it's literally a, a structure that we allow ourselves to build around us. But what it provides is the abundance of not having debt hanging over our heads. Debt really feels like a burden. It's, it's a form of financial slavery. And so, so the idea of getting rid of debt and, and eliminating that from our lives and and I just want you to understand, I, I do believe that God wants all of his children to not have that kind of a slavery mentality. He does not want us living under that burden. And uh, So I've done a lot of reading, and many of you have as well. Financial guru uh, Larry Burkett says that anyone can become debt-free in seven years. So it's a, it'll take a process. If you have debt right now, uh, just know that there is hope. Uh, he, uh, and he goes through story after story. I wouldn't want to argue with Larry. He's the guru. Uh, but what I do want to give you is I want to give you some real practical steps. And so here's uh, it, it just something to write down. Hopefully it's encouragement for you as far as getting rid of debt or managing uh, and, and eliminating debt from your life. The first is you've got to commit to it. You've just got to set it as a goal that you want to live debt-free. And so if you're married, you've got to have that conversation with your spouse and say, you know, together, let's, let's just make a pact. Let, let's go after this. So you intend it as a goal. Number two is you make a commitment not to take on any additional debt. So this is that kind of that, that risky feeling, right, when you're going to get serious about something. Maybe for you, you cut up your credit cards. And you just decide, you know what, we're not going to utilize these anymore. I actually heard a great idea of a couple. What they did is they took their credit cards, they put it in a bowl, filled the bowl with water, and then stuck it in the freezer. And so their credit cards were frozen in a block of ice. Uh, so they could access it if they really needed it, but they figured that in the time it took for that ice to melt, they could talk each other out of the purchase that they were about to have. So uh, there's an idea. Of course, I, they have a microwave, I'm sure. So that, that kind of goes. Number three is you've got to put God first in your giving. So this is, again, that reminder what, of what Jesus says, that you give and it will be given to you. You need God's pleasure and blessing over your financial life, and so you invite his blessing by prioritizing him. And I do just want to say this, and, I, and I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't mean this in a mean spirit at all, but listen, if you're not tithing but you have a smartphone, 
if you have high-speed internet, if you have a health club membership, if you do manicures, if you own a boat, if you go to the movies and eat out frequently, it's time to reprioritize and make some adjustments in your life. Does that make sense? We, we sort of, we have this first world mentality about everything that we need. We don't need everything we need. We want everything, but we don't need it. And so the idea is put God first. It's not something that you save till the end. It's something that you actually prioritize at the beginning. Number four is develop a written plan. Uh, we call this a budget where you tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Um, and, and you can do this as detailed or as broad stroke as is comfortable in terms of your life. But I would for sure encourage you to start with, with the big strokes, right? The big payments so that you understand immediately your tithe is this, your mortgage is this, or your rent. Uh, if you have college payments, what your food, uh, you know, your transportation. So you, you do your big swaths first and then you tighten up what, uh, you know, kind of the nickel and dime stuff that, that leaks out. Number five, you adjust your lifestyle. So I, I would just encourage you to think about what part of your life might be adjustable or adjust worthy. Uh, there are some, you know, uh, plenty of tricks around this in, in terms of being able to provide for needs that you have without, uh, without getting in debt or, or going into debt. Uh, for example, if you need a car, don't buy a, a car where you have a car payment. Uh, you, can, uh, you can save and you can pay cash, you, you know, don't go new because of all the depreciation that happens immediately when you drive it off the lot, go gently used, like, th like these kind of things. I, I do want to say this, and some of you might think it's heresy, but lattes are a luxury, okay? They are, and, uh, and, and so just, you know, kind of, those are the adjustments that we're talking about. And then number six is systematically pay off your debt. So... Dave Ramsey, we, we use Dave Ramsey quite a bit, and we're offering a financial peace university class as well, and that information's in your handout. But Dave Ramsey has a couple of ideas around this. When he talks about not taking on additional debt, what, one of his ideas, a baby step, is you squirrel away $1,000 and put it into a savings account. And then whenever you do have that unexpected crisis, your car needs new brakes or, you know, the dishwasher goes down or whatever, you, instead of going into debt, what you do is you just borrow from that $1,000, make that emergency payment or, you know, purchase, and then you try to always have $1,000 just squirreled away somewhere. And it's, it's a great payment, uh, it's, it's a great idea. It's, it's literally like using a credit card, but it's just your own money and therefore you're not paying interest or anything. The second thing Dave, Dave Ramsey talks about is he talks about a debt snowball. Are you guys familiar with this idea? So if you have three or four credit cards, you, you pay, you know, you're doing maybe the minimum payment on all of them, but you start to aggressively go after the one that has the lowest balance, say. You might do a highest interest rate, but lowest balance is his idea because then you can finish that one first. And then what you were paying on that one, you now snowball it toward the next credit card that you have. And so each time you, you keep paying the same amount all the, across the board, but you're eliminating one credit card and then the next one and the next one and your payments just get bigger and bigger. Does that make sense? So that's why it's called a snowball because it just builds. All right, so that's just kind of a, a loose plan. Uh, again, Larry Burkett, Dave Ramsey, these are the guys who are going after how you eliminate debt from your life. The next one is the challenge that God has for us to save 10%. So save 10% is this is more like long-term investment. If you happen to be a teacher, you're in the military, some jobs have a retirement kind of a plan already built in, and I, I think that's a beautiful thing. Some companies have... 
uh, a plan where they pay a certain percent in for, for a retirement account and they allow employees to opt in as well. And so the challenge is just that you would have uh, something that's building over the course of, of a longer term, right? So it's just, it's going away and it's something that looks for the future. So again, you're thinking, okay, how does this work then? 10% immediately goes to the Lord and then I would recommend 10% goes into some long-term saving for yourself, for your family. And then the last one, and this is really the hardest part of everything, uh, live humbly and gratefully on the rest. So this is the acknowledgement that you're a steward and you steward for God. And so at the end of the day, God will hold us accountable for how we spend and steward that money. And, and it's not that 10% is his, it's all his. And so we're to utilize it well for our families and, and for the kingdom of God. And, and we're going to give an account for how we did. And we're going to stand before God and we're going to say, God, here, here's what I did with the money that you put into my hands. I think it, there's going to be a day when we stand before the Lord where we will see how our generosity was used for God's kingdom. And I think it's going to be an incredibly emotional experience for us. You know, I've thought this before. In, in Revelation 21, it talks about how Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. Are you familiar with that phrase? There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And, and I've always thought about why is it that we're all going to be crying in heaven? And I think one of the reasons that we might be crying is because he will show us exactly how beautiful our generosity was in the lives of other people. Amen. He'll show us exactly how our giving impacted the kingdom of God and eternities were changed because of our financial faithfulness. And I think that's going to be so beautiful. We'll be emotionally connected to that moment. And then I also think he might show us just a glimpse of how if we really were generous and if we really became sacrificial for his kingdom how much more we could have done and i think i think that'll be a sad moment and i think there'll be tears in that moment and, and then i think you know he, he won't let that linger for a long time he wipes every tear from our eyes you know we'll see what we could have done what we should have done maybe that schindler's list final scene where he's like oh if i I could have sold my watch and saved two more people. Oh, I, I, could have, I could have traded my car and, and for 10 people I could have saved. And, and, you know, it's just that kind of an experience. See, there's, there's a story in, in the scripture where a boy gives his lunch to Jesus. And Jesus feeds thousands with it. And so our generosity, when we give first to the Lord, you, you just have no idea how God will take it and multiply it and impact other lives because of it. I remember hearing a story from a guy named Bart Campolo. He, he ran this organization in Philadelphia, inner city Philadelphia. It was, a, it was a summer camp for kids. And for a while, my wife and I were thinking about going and joining their ministry. We just were so in love with this idea and, and, and how they were caring for kids. But, but it was always just run by donation. They, they, you know, they were scrambling together to try to get enough money for T-shirts and just, you know, the, the different activities that they were able to do. And, and there wasn't much. You know, it was really humble the way they ran this camp. But they ran it all summer long. And, and so they came up with this idea that what they were going to do is have a competition for the kids. All summer, they were competing and memorizing Bible verses and doing these kind of chores together. And, and, and the team that, that you know, finished, they, they didn't have a prize, but they just kept telling the kids, whoever wins this thing, I promise you it's going to be something good. 
We're going to have this, it's going to be a prize and you're going to love it. It's going to be something good. Of course, they didn't have any idea what it was going to be. And so these kids, all of them, they worked hard all summer long and everyone was giving their best and, and they were all getting the gold stars. And so kind of last day of the summer camp, uh, they made this announcement. They said, all right, you guys have all, have all been great. They said, we can't just pick one team. Everybody wins. They, they, you're all going to get the prize. And everyone was cheering. And, and then they, they had these school buses, six different school buses. They all rumbled in and, and said, all right, load up. You know, and so all the kids are on the buses and they're, they're just so excited. It's going to be something good. And, and here's what something good was. They, they, they took them out of the neighborhood. Some, these kids had never been out of their neighborhoods. They took them out of the inner city. They took them into the suburbs. They, they had found this Burger King with a huge place structure, you know. And they let these kids out. And every kid got a little Happy Meal with a toy. And they, they got, a, you know, an hour and a half just to run amok on this, uh, uh, this play area and, and they just were having a blast and then they say all right load it up and they they load it up and then they they rolled a, a, across this little suburb into a holiday inn with a swimming pool and it had a slide and they let the kids off and the kids went nuts they, they just had so much fun and it was you know on the slide and Marco Polo and the chicken fights and and they just were having a, this incredible time and and Bart Campolo was there just watching everybody and just smiling. And this little girl comes up to him and she tugs on his shirt. And she says, Mr. Campolo. He says, yeah. She said, you told us all summer that it would be something good. But you didn't say it would be heaven. Yeah, I hope you understand it takes so little for us when we put it in God's hands Amen. to impact lives in powerful ways. See, I want us to live free. I want us to experience all of the abundance that God has for us. But it starts with us putting some of these steps into place so that we can actually live unburdened and free. So that we can actually joyfully put into God's hands, whatever it is that God's calling us to, so that we can live this generous pathway in the abundance that God has for us. Amen. And so I just want to point you to two verses, and, and, and we'll wrap this up. That, that 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, he gave everything so that you and I could have the full abundance and blessing of God's kingdom in our lives. That's Jesus. That's what he has done for us. And then that last verse, and I hope you see this. This is what it means to live abundant. That you and I live absolutely free. Not mastered by anything. Not burdened by anything or enslaved by anything. And so the scripture says, and Jesus says this. If the son sets you free... You are free indeed. That's abundance. That's the picture of abundance that I want all of us to experience. Why don't you do this? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? And we're just, we're going to simply give all of this conversation to Jesus, okay? And Jesus, what we want to say to you is over this issue of our financial lives, which every single one of us has to deal with, we all have to negotiate this part of our lives. So when it comes to this issue, Jesus, we pray your will over our finances. We pray your way. 
We pray your guidance and your leadership. We, we pray your wisdom and your principles. Jesus, we, we want the abundance that you are inviting us into. And so we ask that you would find us faithful and that you would find us generous and that you would find us willing to follow you in all areas of our lives, but especially today in this area of our finances. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. 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 All right, well, why don't you stand and let's continue to praise Jesus together. Take this heart, city. 
is yours, Jesus. Let that be our mantra. All right, you guys can take a seat. My name is Laura. I'm one of the pastors here on the team. And this morning, uh, you received a connection card in your handout. So go ahead and take that connection card out. And we, this would be a great time for you guys just to continue to fill that in. Perhaps there was um, a prayer request that came to your mind. Or um, if there's a way that you want to be involved, we'd love for you just to jot that down on your connection card. And we really do want to connect with you guys. This is just a great tool for us to know what's going on in your lives. And in just a moment, the offering buckets will come around and you can drop that card in there. If this is your first time here at Overlake, we are very glad that you're here. And go ahead and hang on to that card. And as you walk out the doors, um, stop by our Connection Center and we have a little gift for you in exchange for your card. And um, here at Overlake, our mission is to love God, love people, and to serve the world. And one of the ways that we're able to do that is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. There are so many ways that you guys can give. You can give online. You can text to give. You can um, do the old-fashioned check if you want. Um, so anyways, it doesn't matter. Just whatever is most convenient for you. So at this time, we are going to ask... Um, the ushers to come down so that we can receive our tithes and our offering. And at the same time, I want to invite up on stage some pretty fantastic people that we have coming. Um, these individuals that you see coming up are some, um, we have four short-term mission teams that are heading out into the world over the next couple of weeks. I think we have around 30 people going out. And personally, I'm just really inspired by each one of these individuals who have basically just said, yes, Lord, send me. I'm willing to be used to be a blessing to the nations. So we have, um, let's see, we have a team that's heading out to Israel-Palestine. It's a young adult team. Are you guys up here somewhere? Any young adults up here? Apparently they're not here. <laughs> but anyways, there they are. <laughs> um, so they're going to go and be bridges, build bridges of um, peace and reconciliation in that region amongst Israelis and Palestinians and Christians and Muslims. It's going to be a fantastic trip. Um, we also have a team that's heading to Kenya. Where are you guys? All right. So we've got um, that team who's going to be coming alongside our Katali project, which has already um, brought um, hundreds of children, street children, back into homes. Um, so they're going to come and encourage the workers there. So that will be really exciting. And we have a team that's heading to Peru. Where are you guys? All right. So these are medical um, practitioners and medical students that are going to provide, using their vocation to provide medical checkups for, um, for people that have little to no access to quality health care. And then lastly, we have a team heading to Chile. There they are. Um, they're going to come alongside our partners in Chile um, who are church planting amongst the Mapuche, which are the indigenous people of Chile. So they're going to come and help us some construction projects and just do some general outreach. So it's very exciting. Um, you may have noticed in the hallway on your way in, you saw some tables out there. We have plenty of short-term mission opportunities for you guys for the coming year. would love for you guys just to be able to stop by the tables come chat with me, talk with one of the team leaders, grab a list. There's plenty to do. Um, and we also, I just, um, 
I know that going out on a short-term team can feel a little intimidating at times, and maybe you're wondering what you have to offer. We do have a short-term mission teams meeting coming up next Sunday. So it'll be at 11 a.m. and right in the choir room, which is directly behind um, the auditorium here. We'd love to have you there. We can answer questions and just for you to hear about the different opportunities um, that we have going out. And I don't know for how many of you guys have been on a short-term team, but it can have a profound impact on your life. So don't allow fear or money or time to get in the way of an incredible experience that the Lord may have for you. So at this time, we do want to pray. We're going to commission out these wonderful people and pray over them. But before we do that, I just want to remind you that we do have, if you personally need prayer this morning, we have a team of people that would love to pray with you guys that are just right outside on the second um, floor here in the lobby. And they would love to be able to pray with you if you need that this morning. So if you guys want to stand up, um, and if you feel comfortable, you can extend your hand out. And we're going to go ahead and pray a blessing and closing over these wonderful people. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity. We send these teams out covered with your favor and with your blessing. You are the mighty God who parted the Red Seas and heals the sick and restores sight to the blind. And that same power is within each and every person here. Fill them with your boldness and your courage to overcome any fears, worries, or anxieties. Anoint them to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to set the captives free. We pray for bridges of peace in divided and broken places and hope in communities who see no way out. We pray for open hearts and ears to hear and eyes to see where you are at work. And most of all, Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified amongst the nation and that your name would be exalted. Thank you so much for each one of these individuals. And we send them out with your blessing and with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next week.